Welcome back to the Scoop College Basketball Podcast. We are back for episode three. We're really excited to get talking about some college basketball. There were some great games this week. This just proves why college basketball is the best sport in the country. I can't remember the last time I actually was excited to watch an NBA game. It's just uh, a lot of fake basketball, in my opinion. Definitely it's real talent, but it just doesn't compare to college basketball. What are your thoughts on uh, that, Dan? Well, Austin, I know we're going to get into K-State versus Kansas in a little bit, but the finish of that game and the atmosphere in that arena at Kansas State and the post-game court storming, I think that encapsulates a lot of the argument behind uh, at least the college basketball regular season, you know, having that even more of an excitement, more of a thrill than a majority of the NBA regular season. And then that's not to mention, of course, what makes college basketball uh, nationally or world famous even with the NCAA tournament in March and all that to, is to come with that. So I feel you on that. I, I, I can't I can't cap. I was I did enjoy getting to a Sixers game earlier this month. I got to put a 76ers plug in there. If we're going to break up NBA real quick. But no, aside from that, no, college basketball has been good to us this year. Yeah, NBA just doesn't have the student sections, just not the same atmosphere. But we're not here to talk about NBA. We are here to talk about college basketball. So let's get into the content. But before we dive into the content, just some quick self-plugs. Follow our Instagram, Hoopscoop Media. Twitter is the same. And we've actually been putting out some new articles on the website lately, which is a rare occurrence, but it will continue to happen. So maybe it won't be such a rare occurrence from now on. But we put a few articles out this week. We had one on FAU, which has really had an outstanding season. And I also wrote an article about uh, 10 of the best freshmen in the country that were not ranked inside the 24-7 sports composite top 100 this year. So both those are good reads. Check them out at hoopscoopmedia.com. And yeah, but now let's get into the actual content. And we have some commits this week. As we teased on our last episode, 2024 five-star Ian Jackson, who is the uh, second-rated prospect in the country on a few sites has committed to North Carolina. It was speculated that Kentucky was the favorite, but North Carolina was right there and the Tar Heels ended up getting his services. So North Carolina has an insane class. They have like four top 50 recruits already, even though they haven't been great on the court this season compared to expectations. They've still been able to recruit, and I don't see that program slowing down anytime soon, even with Hubert Davis leading it, who has definitely still done a fine job on the recruiting trail. And also, another program that has done great on the recruiting trail is Iowa State, and they landed a four-star in 2024 wing Dwayne Pierce. This amazing recruiting job from TJ Otzelberger, Otzelberger. It's just been amazing how he's been able to recruit. They have the it's his third four star in twenty twenty four. They have a five star in twenty twenty three. What do you make, Dan, about how Odds has been recruiting at Iowa State? Because it's been crazy to see. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, the Big Twelve is I, I brought it up probably each episode, right? Like the number of teams in the standings. You see, you go down the list and you see nothing but numbers, nothing but AP rankings with more than half the schools in the Big Twelve. So it's a crowded recruiting landscape, right? Like when you take it outside 
the picture of in the regular season. These are a bevy of programs who are going to be vying for similarly related recruits. And Iowa State, without being a basketball name brand or or a textbook blue blood, is uh is right there in, in the thick of things. So Ots deserves all kinds of credit for that. And I mean, you're I don't think this is gonna be the last time that you give an update on the Cyclones landing a notable name. I I think there's momentum behind. Uh, we're gonna hear more about them on the trail uh in real in, in future episodes and in future classes. So uh I certainly think Iowa State is not although they don't get brought up. I mean, we talk about the big picture of a Athletics, the SEC and Big Ten, you know, being this kind of there's not the breakaway leagues, because that's kind of the completely different topic about the future of the NCAA, but those those kind of being a power too. But the Big 12 on the court competitively, you know, Iowa State should be should be there, right? Because Texas has a certain amount of I don't call it instability, but of course they're going to go through a prolonged coaching transition. So when you have the kind of leadership that's steadily in place at Iowa state, I think that, that, that figures and projects well. Yeah. Altsburger has his team on fire right now. They obviously have five-star Omaha blue coming next year. They're just being a, becoming a force and they're really starting into shape into a good college basketball program. That was kind of where they left off when Hoiberg left for the NBA. Steve Prome didn't really have the most success with Iowa State, but now they're back up, and Otz is the guy for the job. So we do have some injuries to note on, which is never a good thing when we have three season-ending injuries to talk about, but they happen, and we should probably cover them when they do. So the first one is Emmanuel Bandomel for Nebraska. He is out for the season. He suffered a knee injury at Penn State was a solid combo guard for the Huskers this season, averaged 8.4 points, 4.8 rebounds, 2.3 assists, and he played a lot over 30 minutes a game, second on the team in minutes per game, and they just lose a valuable um, this rotation piece that they can just throw in there. He can play a lot. He plays with a lot of energy, and that's really a big loss for them. Western Kentucky guard Luke Frampton is also out for the season. He tore his ACL, and Western Kentucky hasn't really been that good this season, at least compared to expectations, but Frampton can shoot the lights out of the ball. He was still great this year from beyond the arc, shooting 46.2% from three. The Hilltoppers will really miss him the rest of the year without that shooting. And St. John's guard Montez Mathis is out for the season, and this is his fifth year, and so his college career is unfortunately over. He played in over 10 games this year, but he was having a good year, averaging 9.6 points on the best shooting splits of his career. So that just sucks to see. But now moving away from injuries, we had a great week of college basketball, and the first thing you have to mention is Gonzaga. Their 76-game win streak at home is over, losing to Loyola Marymount, who hasn't really been a WCC power like such as like BYU or St. Mary. So this is a shocking loss for the Zags. What do you make of this, Dan? Well, first things first, I, I didn't even realize that the I, I knew Gonzaga had enjoyed a significant home winning streak, but I had no I, I don't want to say I had no idea, but 76 straight home wins is just it's more than phenomenal. I mean, that is just thoroughly dominant and the fact that it came to a crashing halt against uh, Loyola Marymount like you articulated rather than it being against an outgoing uh, member like BYU or against a traditional rival like St. Mary's I mean that just made it even more jarring 
I had to, I had to actually tune, of course, I'm out here on the East Coast and I was looking for a way to watch the end of this game. And because it was LMU versus Gonzaga and it wasn't a really a BYU or a St. Mary's kind of game for the Zags, it wasn't on a, a national network. So I didn't have a West Coast regional network. I was tuning into like the Gonzaga online radio stream of the finish of this game. And you could tell just by listening to those uh, hometown uh, Gonzaga uh, radio broadcasters they were just as shocked as i think everybody nationally was but you austin i want to give you credit i, I texted you this right as it was happening or shortly thereafter that night you were you were kind of sounding the alarm bells a little bit on, on gonzaga you point out hey they've had some close wins here i i downplayed it and said well yeah you know they'll feel they'll feel themselves out because we we were really pointing to this being a, more of a top 15 team than a top 10 team and i was saying well you know maybe you get some not growing pains, but you get some some closer calls than we might have expected from a Gonzaga team. Just when you think of Gonzaga, you think of maybe more of a of a of a of a top four seed kind of threat. And this might not be that kind of year. But my gosh, uh, was I actually underselling the the risk they had in conference play? Loyola, Marymount played probably the game of its season. Certainly, it's going to be the highlight of its season with playing more games to come. It's hard to think that that won't be the very highlight of their year, but. I wanted to dive into the box score because I have to get back into my notes on this game because that I wanted to just take a like how how did how did Loyola Marymount get this done because it, it's a game that Gonzaga finished under seventy points uh, total so certainly that's below uh, their averages and a lot of credit goes to Cam Shelton I mean twenty seven points to lead the way at the guard spot for LMU backing up in double figures is Jalen Anderson but Cam Shelton's their best player and the fact that that Gonzaga really didn't take away. LMU's top option efficiently was was a shock to me because that's largely how you you can typically count on Gonzaga to do that against uh, the run of the I don't want to say run of the mill WCC opponents but it, it this the Zags just got bit they got bit on a on a bad night uh, Timmy was seventeen uh, probably they needed twenty on it I I if you had told me before the game that Timmy would just chip in seventeen. I wouldn't have projected that to be a loss for Gonzaga necessarily, but this turned out to be a game where because. LMU showed up with Shelton in such having a big night. They really needed more like 20 or 25 from Timmy, which is certainly threw me for a loop. Yeah, Shelton had a huge game, and he's really been having a huge season. The former NAU transfer, it's his second year with Loyola Marymount. Last year, uh, he didn't have a great season, but this year he's just, he's been on fire, probably having the best season of his career, obviously the best team of his career. Um, it's just been Nice to watch. The Loyola Marymount, they were hyped up a fair amount last season. That just didn't work at all. They fell apart, but they've been putting together a solid season. Obviously not an NCAA tournament team, but maybe sneak into like the NIT. They have wins at Gonzaga. They beat Wake Forest on neutral site. Like they're stacking up a pretty good team, but with that being said, I did not expect them to win at Gonzaga. Gonzaga even though they've been struggling, they've been taking care of business at home this season. So that is not the result I expected to see. But yeah, I think it might be time to be a little worried about Gonzaga. Like I referenced in our past episode, Gonzaga, this isn't a team that we've seen in the past. Like go going into the season, I had them ranked number one in my power rankings. And I think everyone just overlooked that there's really not like as much talent as there usually is on Gonzaga teams, like Chet's gone, like there's no like Kisper or Suggs, like it's just Timmy. And I mean, Strother is pretty good too, but outside of that, you just don't have these same national level players. 
obviously the players that are there that are there are still fine. Like Anton Watson's a fine player, but he's not even close to what Chet Holmgren brings. Brung, like it's just the talent gap is a lot bigger than I think we all thought it would be preseason, which is one of the reasons that Gonzaga is just they're not amazing this year. And even and they're still good. Like it really says a lot about this program when they're like maybe like top fifteen, top twenty range, and we're talking about how disappointing they are. So that really says a lot about about them as a program. But this year, I don't know. I'm not too thrilled about where they've been going recently. And Dan, I'm going to ask you this question: Is St. Mary's the best team in the WCC now? Man, huh? That's that's that that's something that I'm going to have to say. If we're going to call it an overreaction Monday via my friend, well, not my, I wish he were my friend. It's certainly a great voice in sports media, Rich Eisen. He does a great segment, Overreaction Monday, so I don't want to steal it from him. But if this is an overreaction Monday on which we're recording, I'm going to say that's not an overreaction. Like, I, I don't think that's unfair to say that as of now, St. Mary's uh, deservedly gets a, gets a look as the best team in the WCC. I mean, every mid-major top 25 has St. Mary's right there near the very top among the best mid-majors in the country, and that's typically a spot reserved for Gonzaga. But this year, Gonzaga has a certain ceiling that is lower than uh, what we're accustomed to. I feel like that's just kind of the, the theme we keep circling with Gonzaga on this show. So I think St. Mary's, I'm looking forward to uh, the race at the, you know, as you get into February in the WCC, but the LMU game that Gonzaga played kind of completely resets my view because I, I think we kind of, you and I kind of been hesitating to, to really go in on Gonzaga a little bit more, you know, and say this is not the not this is not your your uh your team that we that we can sharpie in in March, and now we have the license to do so, right? Like this loss gave it this excuse to say, okay, here's what we can actually point to. We we thought maybe it might be coming, but now it's here. So yeah, I think St. Mary's is is definitely kind of a team that you look at and say, well, they they can kind of slide up into that top spot. Mm-hmm. The metrics, <clears throat> the metrics love St. Mary's. They're seventh on Ken Palm. Gonzaga seventeenth. And just a little note, St. Mary's beat Loyola Marymount a few weeks ago at home by 14, which is more than Gonzaga because Gonzaga did not beat him. <laughs> but yeah, St. Mary's, I still think Gonzaga might be more talented, but St. Mary's, it's Randy Bennett does not get the appreciation he deserves. He's been amazing. Like we already talked about St. Mary's and their team on a previous podcast. So not to go too in, a, too in depth here, but like Aiden Mahaney, Mitchell Saxon, those guys have all been great for the Gales, and I think if the season ended right now, I would put St. Mary's ahead of Gonzaga in my WCC power rankings, but those teams have not played each other yet. They play on February 4th and February 25th. Those will be two great matchups and must-see, must-watch television, even though it's in the WCC. Casual fans will not want to miss those games. Yeah, so. ESPN or somebody, I, I haven't checked the listings yet, but ESPN or somebody's going to help me out with those so that I'm not searching for like Root Sports Northwest or whichever <laughs> whichever network I'm lacking uh, for, for many of these games. Yeah, yeah but, I'm guessing I'm guessing those ones will be nationally televised, but I better hope so because I hope it uh, doesn't like go on WCC Network, which is like just a website. So, but oh, I, I highly are- doubt that. Usually, usually St. Mary's, I mean, especially you mentioned it. I didn't even realize I had to refresh my number seven in Ken Palm is, I mean, that's ahead of Kansas who we're about to discuss at length. 
Uh, that's uh, just a couple spots behind Purdue, who's the new AP number one. I mean, St. Mary's, yeah, like you said, the metrics are a big fan. Yeah, and uh, moving away from the WCC, Gonzaga, St. Mary's talk, there was another mid-major team that was number one, whether you want to call it AAC a mid-major or not. I think it's kind of on the fence. It's definitely not a power six conference, and it will be a mid-major for sure next year when Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF depart for the Big 12 along with BYU from WCC. But they lost to Temple at home, which is not a good loss considering I'll I'll give some credit to Temple. They do have a lot of talent on their team, but they've also had some real struggles this year. They've lost to Wagner and Maryland Eastern Shore, and those are two teams that you do not want to be losing to. But then they beat Houston. They beat Rutgers. Obviously, Villanova's not that good, but they beat Villanova. Like, Temple is very talented, and I think they could compete. <clears throat> they could be a potential uh, bid stealer. So what do you what do you make of this game? Because I was shocked when I saw the result because I didn't expect Houston. I didn't. This wasn't the game that I thought they would drop if they were to drop a game. Right. Like this, this game for the Cougars is not one we were circling as being a trap in the AAC, although maybe we should have sniffed that out because Temple, when I think about Temple's season, I think back to what a big deal it was over here in my neck of the woods when Temple beat Villanova. I mean, at that time, there I think folks in the immediate area and then even nationally were, were not yet as soured on Nova as we are now. So maybe it was a little bit of a, of a, of a sweet win at the time, and it's cooled off a bit in terms of its importance. But I know that symbolically it was a big deal for the Owls to defeat Nova at home and get a court storming in and have that celebration and momentum behind the program in Philly. And then they take that on the road and just – Absolutely, it's this is one of the biggest upsets. Obviously, number one goes down to a huge upset, but this was not a trendy upset pick by any means. I mean, this is probably the most unexpected result uh, we've had in our uh, podcast, our short podcast history. Looking at how it happened, I mean, Damian Dunn, the guard off the bench for Temple with 16 points. Now, majority of that coming from his way, finding his way to the free throw line, seven of eight uh, free throw shooting. Uh, just three of eight, three-point shooting. So he, he did find his way to get uh, three triples in there too. Uh, and he was one of two outs of double figures. Uh, Hicks, the forward, had had 12. But in a 56-55 to win, as just looking at the score suggests, I mean, this is a grinded-out defensive game. You get, you get Houston out of its high-scoring uh, primary style and hold Sasser to 12. I mean, if, if Sasser is outscored by one of your bench players, that's a, that's a good sign for an unranked team on the road at Houston. So uh, it, you get a number one team when you, as an unranked school. I mean, when, you get, when you're playing number one and you get that top team on the ropes and, and then you shift all the pressure uh, to the home team who's expected to not, not only win, but win by you know, several possessions at a minimum, uh, you, the other team's going to tighten up. And uh, Temple, I, I salute the Owls. Uh, not just for not just for winning, but this this is a classic way to do it. I mean, what a what a strong win that I think does absolutely put them. You 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 kind of stole the phrasing right out of my head. There, I was thinking about how would I best summarize Temple? Possible bid thief, possible bid thief was was what I was going to say. So, uh, it, the AAC it doesn't like there's more a lot of more work to do for Temple because you have to rack up a number of wins. Like it's not a conference where 
Uh, it's it's just not going to be getting as many bids as the Big 12 or the Big 10, that's for sure, right? Like that goes without saying. So without going too too far in depth on Temple, I wouldn't even worry about the postseason ramifications for either team. Really, I would just say in the short term, uh, this was this was more about Temple than anything. Yeah, I agree. And to give Damian Dunn some credit, he he's not your own ordinary bench player. I believe he was like all conference last year. So he's a very good player, but still what a win for Temple and Houston. They had kind of like we mentioned about Gonzaga in the last podcast. They had kind of been playing with fire a little bit, not to the extent that Gonzaga has, but they had been playing a few close games with teams that they are probably a lot better than. So, and then they finally got burned by Temple, which I think could be a wake-up call for Houston, too. And you look at the metrics, they're still number one. So, even though they dropped in uh, a little bit in their efficiency margin, it sh- it goes to show that they're s- still, like, one of the best teams in the country, if not number one. But obviously, they moved down a little bit in the rankings. But, yeah, so I'm not worried about Houston, either. I think they'll... F- figured themselves out yeah um they'll still i don't know what the committee will do because it seems like last year houston was up there in the rankings and metrics and they got a five seed so a lot of people are predicting them as a one seed even though i i just have no sense of what the committee will do i think they'll probably still be a one if they win out which not sure if they lose another game then Maybe not. And in the AAC, they don't can't really afford to lose many games. And moving on to another topic, we mentioned the bid stealers. The AAC has a number of teams that could steal a bid in the tournament. I'm not sure if any are going to happen because of how good Houston is. Like, I don't really think Temple will be Houston again in the tournament. But you have like Temple, Tulane, UCF even. Like those teams are not going to make the tournaments that large, but they have enough more than enough talent to go on runs. Even Memphis, if they play themselves out of the tournament conversation, they're still a really very talented team that could secure that auto bid. So it's going to be interesting to see the and watch the AAC in its last season of competition as we know it before it gets all jumbled up next year. A bunch of teams coming in, a few teams leaving, and this will be the last year we get to experience this, which I'm not sure if it's really a bad thing because now we can see Houston playing some good competition and now we can finally settle the debate on if the AAC is a mid-major or not. But moving on from the AAC, Kansas, they lost twice this week. They are currently trailing, I don't know, um... Let me pull up the score here, but they lost to K State at K State, which I don't think that's a bad loss at all. Like K State, they had that was one of the best environments I've seen in all of college basketball this year, but just in recent memory. And actually, Baylor's only leading Kansas by one right now. By the time you're listening to this podcast, you will know the results. But just just to get your thoughts on the rivalry game between Kansas and K-State. What were your thoughts on that game? Because that was that was a great college basketball game. Jalen Wilson, he kept Kansas in single-handedly. That was that was a must-watch game. That was a classic game. 
for KU. Wilson finishes with 38 points. I, I really single-handedly that that's the adverb for it, but just wasn't enough in overtime in the end. Uh, I mean, Kante Johnson with 24 for the Wildcats. Uh, Sills with 24, Tomlin with 15. Go down the line; those were double-figure scores. But this was just. This was a treat. This was I was rooting, but seeing the end of regulation, I was absolutely as a neutral party, no dog in the fight, is absolutely unabashedly rooting for overtime in this ball game. What a statement for Kansas State! I I just think this has so many ripple effects for Kansas State. The I just think about the campus in Manhattan. That you know everybody's on board there now, right? Like even just casual students, right? That that student section, the court storming, it was everything that we were talking about at the very open of the show about the allure of college basketball. I mean, everybody who at Kansas State University knows that playing and then beating Kansas is a huge deal. So now everybody's on board, everybody's on the train, and I'm that much more geared in for what's a really important pair of games coming up for Kansas State as we look at. I know we're gonna talk more about the week schedule later in the program, but quick teaser with a ranked top 15 matchup, Kansas State going to Iowa State on the 24th for late night tip-off on ESPNU. Just another time, another chance for uh, Kansas State to uh, get a resume builder. I really thought, you know, we, we talked in our last episode, like how would Kansas State uh, rebound from falling at TCU? And they really got, they got humbled a little bit at TCU. And the response was so resounding uh, to, to hold Kansas, to overcome the game uh, that Kansas put together, that Kansas enjoyed uh, from Jalen Wilson. It was really remarkable. I mean, Wilson averages a little over 20 points a game, but this was just another stratosphere from him. Uh, it just didn't matter, right? It didn't matter because Kansas State would not be denied. So uh, I, it just kind of feels like Kansas State is having that kind of year. Kind of seems like they're they're kind of meant to have uh, a little bit of a storybook run here. Now, I'll say that, and that'll be a little bit of a podcast jinx, but uh, they they have just so much goodwill behind them. And... I, I like Kansas. I always expect uh, the field house of Kansas to be rocking like that, but Kansas state now without knowing, having like a great understanding of the history of the basketball atmosphere there. I just think Jerome tag, we mentioned him on the show plenty of times. Uh, he's got a good thing going there because everybody's believing. Yeah. Tang is just bringing tons of life into this program and more about Jalen Wilson. He would have had over 40 points if Bill self had not called that timeout right before he hit that three in overtime so that was a great game from him he I had in my first team All-Americans when we did the list a few weeks ago and I after that game even though they lost I firmly stand by that he has been amazing another thing about K-State is Marquise Noel did not have a huge game versus Kansas which that really stands out to me because in a few of Kansas statement wins he had put some crazy stat lines out that obviously weren't sustainable for a whole season's length. But when he has a game that wasn't that amazing and K-State is still able to knock down one of the best teams in the country, that really stands out to me a lot about this team, just about this program in general. Tang is just breathing life into it. It's it's been crazy to watch. I thought there was like no hope for this team preseason. And now here they are. The AP poll came out today, which I don't like the AP poll in general, but still the fact that they're top five is just crazy to think about. It I would never seen this coming in a million years, but Kansas State is just on fire. But 
no, I mean, to, to, to drop one more thing about the Wildcats, I mean, a number one seed right now in a Jerry Palms, a CBS Sports Bracketology, like that, uh, seeing Kansas State the one line, that that really is. I mean, I, I know it's January uh, 20-something, you know, in this time of year, but, and so it's a little premature, but just, that gives you a sense of where they are right now. And I, I, you don't write a complete pass for the loss to TCU, but nobody's running the table in the Big 12. That's just not, like, the most, con- like, I was going to mention this about Houston. It's so difficult in any conference you're in to run the table. Like, I think about this for Charleston, who we mentioned at the end of each episode, it feels like. Like, it, it your conference mates know you so well year over year. There's a certain, I, mean, I know coaching changes happen in schemes and rosters turn over a lot these days with the portal. But aside from that, like, even with that, I, I accounted for your conference opponents know you pretty well. You're, you're going to have what we call a slip up, right? And so Kansas State just put that in the rearview mirror. And your point about Noel is really strong because I love when a team shows me they can win more ways than one, right? Like that to show me that you're, you're versatile. Like if if you get, if you, if you're one of your stars is an off day in March, you're not necessarily just going home and you're right. You can, you can pivot to other uh, routes to getting a victory. So uh, that really makes me like Kansas state when it gets to the bracket. Cause I, I, now I'm really picturing like how far could Kansas state go in the tourney? Yeah. At this point, the sky is the limit for Kansas state. And speaking about those slip-ups in conference, Kansas, they got destroyed at home by TCU, which is not a site we see Kansas rarely lose in Allen Fieldhouse. And when they lose, it's usually not by, like, 20 or 18 or whatever the score was. But that's I did not see this coming. You have to think that maybe Kansas used up all their energy in that overtime game, a rivalry game. And then they were just flat coming out with TCU. So with that being said, are you worried about this Jayhawks team at all? They've lost two straight. They are currently in a fight with Baylor. Baylor has now taken an eight-point lead. I know this is probably useless to a lot of you guys since the final scores and everything, that will be long done by the time this podcast is is hits the uh, podcast apps and you guys are all listening to it, but they could lose a third straight game here. So are you worried about Kansas? Well, I remember getting a similar question from your end of the microphone about UConn. And I said, yeah, well, you know, this conference losing streak, it's getting to a point where I don't think I can, I don't think I can say I'm not a little worried and I'm getting similar, similar energy from Kansas here. I mean, I, I now I guess there's a little bit of prisoner of the moment vibe, also because Baylor is in progress leading uh, by several possessions. But it, I it, Kansas, other than uh, Jalen Wilson, who I have uh, a really strong results lately to, lately to lean on. I mean, looking at the way TCU just crushed them in Lawrence, the fact that it was in Lawrence it just tell, tells me something completely different, right? I mean, this was in front of, uh, it, uh, of course, your your usual sellout. In Lawrence at the Fieldhouse, places jump in for a top 25 game, a top 15 game. And they just let TCU get a hold of them from the very first half. I mean, 48 to 38 is your halftime score. You mean to tell me that TCU was nearly on pace to score 100 points on the road? Like, I just don't like the D- – now, scoring 60 points also isn't going to be good enough for Kansas against most of the schools in the Big 12. But even aside from that, I just don't like I just don't like the defense at all. Like, look at the, the box score. I mean, my man, I you made a reference to your 
first team all American pick. One of mine was Mike Miles Jr. He drops 15. Good, good, good day for him. I mean, two of three, three point shooting just took, took his shots selectively in, uh, in 32 minutes. Uh, but he also had 17 points from uh, Shahada Wells, the uh, Texas native got done for TCU as well. Uh, I, the defense, like, let me see the defense in this Baylor. Baylor is on pace to have a really good day shooting the ball. I mean, that's in progress right now. So not to lean on that too much because we're working with less information than the listeners will have. But yeah, I want to see Kansas actually get down to business on the defensive end of the floor because I know that they're going to end up being okay most nights on offense. But uh, yeah, the D uh, gets, gets me a little bit worried. However, I'm going to go ahead and infer that that's going to be a point of emphasis for Coach Self and the staff. And the ship can be righted, and Kansas, it wouldn't surprise me if they're just as easily a favorite to go uh, to the last weekend of the Big 12 tournament, just the same. Yeah, I'm still not, like, super worried about Kansas, but a part of me is because, obviously, like, the Big 12 is a gauntlet of a schedule. You're going to lose somewhere, but it was more of a fashion I lost to TCU that really alarmed me. So I think it is all boils down to the point that there's just nobody elite college basketball this year. Houston was number one in AP poll last week. Kansas was number two. Both did not look very good in their losses. So college basketball is wide open this year, and I am loving that. It's just been crazy to watch. Um, yeah, so Kansas, they... They're currently trailing Baylor, and th- if they lose this game, I might be a little worried. They're currently down by six. Just another score update, 59-53. But, like, you can't – I've just worried that if they lose a few games in a row, and the Big 12 schedule is not forgiving because – they and they also play at Kentucky, which we will talk about later, but there's no off nights in the Big 12. I think we also saw Kansas as another example of that team that was kind of playing with fire until they eventually got burnt two nights, two games in a row. It might be three. So this, I'm not super worried about them yet, but I'm a little less confident in them than I was a few weeks ago because they still have an amazing resume. They still have a lot of great wins, but they haven't been looking the best as of late. And moving to the Pac-12, Arizona got a huge win over UCLA. It was at Arizona. What are your initial reactions on that game? Taking it out west to the Pac-12. We we, we should have done this a little earlier. I'm glad you threw this in our notes, to be sure. Uh, Arizona, bear down. I mean, that's what I got to say. You made made a point of putting it in our notes for the show. Arizona, it's defense. I just talked about defense. With Kansas holding UCLA to just over 30% shooting, that's a big win in the conference. That's going to shake up the whole trajectory of that league. Uh, UCLA, I think there's really going to be an extra motivation. Of course, that's always been a huge basketball brand, needless to say, household name. But UCLA, with the knowledge that they're on their way to the Big Ten, I think the remaining Pac-12 members are going to have and continue to demonstrate a bit of an edge, a bit of a chip to uh just play a little extra purpose on to let the Bruins know on their way out that uh that they that they're they're leaving a just a just a strong basketball league as well. And this was a game that just figured so much in the top ten of of the AP UCLA still 
uh, with just one conference loss on the year, 17 and three overall. And this is a, this is uh, something where UCLA, because of that, the overall resume, it's got, it has a chance to, it's not going to be spotless anymore, but this is also not going to be one of those uh, losses. that sinks you like a rock. Uh, it, it does make a difference though, when you get to the Pac-12 tournament seating and uh, Arizona is going to really enjoy having that tiebreaker. Cause I could see them easily being neck and neck uh, the rest of the way, but uh, UCLA, there's other losses on the overall resume are to Baylor and Illinois, two top 20 teams. So I was just double checking that. Not a reason for great concern there. Uh, UCLA going forward, uh, coming up, they have a pretty important rivalry matchup cross town with USC on the road to take on the Trojans in a game that I just think we've talked about it on the pod numerous times when we're taking a look at future schedules. I am always curious to see, especially when you have a rivalry game coming off a loss, I, I would guess that UCLA is going to be a pretty good bet. Uh, to find a way in that one uh, to regain their traction. And then there isn't, there really isn't a, in the Pac-12 slate, it's just, it's notable that there isn't really a, a real eye, eye-catching game until all the way on March the 4th. That's when these teams have a rematch and the UCLA host Arizona uh, on ESPN, a late night start um, for my, for, for me anyway, howdy. So uh, I guess it's kind of got a sting, especially for UCLA to not, to know that it can't get that revenge game until much later in the regular season, all the way to senior day. So that's going to have a particular uh, particular blow. But looking at Arizona, because, I, I of course, it's taken me too long. Arizona's the team who deserves a lot of praise here. They got the win. Arizona, for their part, for their resume, uh, don't love the loss to Utah that was really not close. That's uh, really the one spot in the regular season resume I don't love as I get to know Arizona. But Taking a look at uh, how they're how they're made up, I mean, it's our, it's our guy Tubelis. I mean, Tubelis is averaging just under twenty a game, leading the team in rebounds a game with nine point four. So he's just about good for a double double each night out there. And uh, Tubelis, uh, th- look what he shoots from three. I mean, forty five percent three point shooting uh, for for a big man who's standing. I got to double check his height. He's standing at six eleven and he's shooting that percentage from three. He he has all that kind of. We talked about the NBA briefly. I won't interject too much of the NBA, but he somebody's going to land a good play. Somebody's going to get a really good uh, kid. He's going to get people are going to label him certain ways. You know, coming coming. He's going to get that international player grouping, and that that can be a positive because the NBA has more and more of stars. You know, coming from uh, Lithuania, where he's a native of Lithuania, and he's playing uh, like a hooper in the Pac twelve. So. I think he's a conference player of the year candidate if Arizona puts together another game against UCLA like it did uh, in this win recently. Yeah, just the first thing that stands out to me about this game is Arizona's defense. Like, offense, they have never, this season, like, offense has never really been a problem for them. They obviously started out great. Their offense was clicking. But their defense is really what showed some signs that they might be in trouble. They obviously gave up 81 points to Utah in that loss. Like, even though they were winning, like, their offense was amazing, but their their offense wasn't the reason they were winning games. They were just outscoring teams. They have a top, They have the 11th fastest tempo in the country, so they like to run. They like to score, and offense has been great, but the defense is what really, like, has been the worry from me this season. Like, even in the past weeks, like, I wasn't, like, I was kind of – um, not as high in Arizona as I was earlier in the season. They obviously lost by two double digit by double digits to Washington State at home, which is not a good look. Then they got killed by Oregon last week. But then this UCLA game, they might be like back to where they were earlier this season because defense, like UCLA, is a very good offense, and when you can 
just completely shut them down, even though Arizona has not been known for their defense. It just shows that they can win in a variety of ways. Obviously, I will be looking forward to that matchup later this season. I do think that UCLA will win at home, but that's just that will be still probably be a great game. That's just it just really tells me a lot about Arizona. They have been can win with defense, and that was what was holding me back from really liking them on national scale. But I think I'm kind of buying into Arizona again with that win, and. The defense yeah, showed up in a big game when it really mattered, right? Like, I did they really have to lean on their defense, right? Like some of these games, they they got it, they could get a healthy, you know, margin in and kind of, I don't want to say coast too much, but they're to, just to accentuate the point. Like, I know it's a small sample size. You're saying, oh, one game against UCLA, and you're we're praising their defense. Well, yeah, they they came through uh, in one of those, you know, big measuring stick games. Yeah, like that's like a game that you will see caliber of teams in like the Elite Eight, Final Four, Sweet 16. And you can prove that Arizona can win a game like that. No huge games in Arizona's resume until the UCLA game, honestly. The Pac-12 was just not that good of a conference when it comes to the Power Six leagues. I don't want to cut you off, but they did get that win over Creighton. Arizona did. There's a win over Creighton there. Now, I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Creighton's a good win, right? The Creighton San Diego yeah, State and Creighton wins. No, like their res, their non conference resume is good. I'm just saying they don't have any good games from here on out until the UCLA oh, rematch. Oh, the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah. Right, like right. they beat they beat Tennessee at home. They beat yeah Creighton, San Diego State, Indiana neutral. Yeah, I just don't think they really have a big statement game until the UCLA game in a little over. A month and a half. Let's see. Who else do we have this week? Iowa State. Tyrese Hunter made his return to Ames. And the fans did were not very appreciative of him. As you can tell by some of the chants they were saying. Uh, we should not repeat those on air. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's that was a huge statement went from Iowa State. They got down a little bit early, but they just fought back. Obviously, we touched on Iowa State about how they're kind of becoming a powerhouse earlier in the episode. But what do you think about this Iowa State team? Like, they are, I mean, I know they lost to Oklahoma State the other day, but they are, like, really good. No, there's no question. I mean, this is just one of the, uh, we talked about it with the recruit. I touched on it with the recruiting uh, highlights in the beginning of the show. You, did you look at the combined? So there are losses to Kansas and Oklahoma State to address. That those losses came uh, in a combined fashion. Uh, combined. What is the math? Four points. Yes, it's not that hard. Yeah, the spread there is four points. So okay, so that that's pretty good. If you're gonna look at quality losses, which if when you look at all these really strong Big Twelve teams, at some point you get, you have to go down the list of what are the, what's what are the common data points we can use, and quality losses is gonna be one of them because they're gonna keep beating up on each other. So I'm gonna look at quality losses, and Iowa State has them. You want to see them finish W's though, and they did it against Texas. I mean, to beat Texas at home, that's an important uh with top fifteen uh game game played within the top fifteen. Also beat Baylor by double digits. So you get Baylor and Texas at home uh, in Big 12 play and you beat both by double digits. That's a good sign. Uh, what are the games to come, though? I mean, there are good games to come. We keep talking about Kansas State and Iowa State. That will be a huge one on Tuesday. Then you get Kansas coming to Ames as well. So these big these big games are coming for the Cyclones are all at home. TCU comes to Ames uh, in February. 
let's see, I want to make sure I get correctly. In February, right, you get those home games. This month and next month, you get the home games. There is a road game at the, at the end of the regular season with Iowa State going to Baylor, but that's looking pretty far ahead. In the short term, I think Iowa State's one of those schools you can actually buy as being a, a pole riser. Uh, I maybe look at the AP Top 25, a little, like put a little more weight into it than is necessary. Like I know you, you're always like, oh, I don't know, I love how I love the AP Top 25. I just like it as like a quick glance, like, okay, let's see who, you know, who's trending which way. Iowa State's probably a decent bet if they keep playing like this at home uh, to move up a few spots. Uh, I want to double check. They're at 12 right now. I could see yeah, what's to stop them from being the latest Big 12 team to crack the top 10. Like, I, I don't necessarily hesitate to pick that. Like, I, I think that's a reasonable to say because uh, they've done a good job defending home floor and they've done it against other really quality Big 12 ups. Mm-hmm. Hilton Coliseum is maybe even underrated nationally. It's arguably the hardest place to play in the country. Maybe not the hardest, but it is top five, top 10, whatever you want to say. It is hard to play at. It is not easy for teams to come in and win there. So some good games coming up in that venue. And now touching the AP poll a little bit. Obviously, we don't want to spend too much time analyzing the AP poll because it really means nothing. But Purdue moved to number one spot today after a three and zero week. Some of those wins were not super convincing, but the bottom line is they continue to win. They're playing very good basketball right now. Alabama probably should be number one, but that's not to take away from what Purdue has done. However, what about Purdue has stood out to you lately? Well, I think we learned you and I did a whole episode, whole episode here early in our series about the gaudy number of AP ranked teams who went down on one weekend. It was a double digit number of teams ranked teams losing was 11 or in that ballpark. So when you take a look at Purdue, you, you remind yourself, it doesn't have to be overwhelmingly sexy, right? To, uh, to, to get credit. And that's exactly what it's been in the big 10 for the Boilermakers. They survive a really good test from Michigan state early last week. Or I should say it was a week ago today. Uh, just to get a one-point win in front of the Izone, it's it's not going to be – you know you're going to get Michigan State's best shot since the Spartans are trying to, uh, you know, ascend back to their uh, – what they think is – I'm sure is their rightful place in the uh, undisputed upper echelon of the Big Ten. Uh, but prior to that, Purdue had really just dispatched Minnesota quite easily, the, the worst Big Ten op you're going to see in the year. So uh, certainly there's – Purdue's established itself as a very clear top end of the totem pole within the conference. We knew that. It was just a matter of uh, were they going to outlast these runs by Houston, and now they have. <laughs> like Houston, Houston fell to Temple. That's a worse loss than uh, I think Purdue's going to have all season. Like quite honestly, in the regular season. Now, part of that's a byproduct of uh, who Purdue gets as part of the Big Ten schedule. Uh, but there are some uh, good games to to come for Purdue. I'm really just in this mode of looking ahead, and Purdue's going to get a rematch with Michigan State late this month. Uh, that's actually late this week on Sunday, the 29th. Uh, so that'll be a game that we'll actually have the result of prior to our next our, our next rendezvous for the pod. Uh, I'm interested in that a little bit because I could see that I know that's going to be at Purdue, but I could see Sparty having another good game in it, you know, and finding a way to make that one good. I guess there's an equal probability, if not greater, that Purdue makes the adjustments and actually gets more separation from this from Michigan State. Um, but elsewhere, playing Indiana is another good one. I mean, I'm just looking for more. Uh, possible landmines for Purdue to fall uh, because 
I just, yeah, I'm not in love with them as being the true number one. Like I have a feeling that at this point, it probably should have been Alabama who you made some great points about in another show as being uh, your number one power ranked team. So yeah. uh, I would have preferred Alabama, but that's not really uh, a, a way of disputing the fact that Purdue with Edie is, I think Purdue is probably one of the safest bets to be a one seed like when it's all said and done. Like I, I have a hard time picturing them not. Yeah, for sure. And just a quick update. New Mexico and Nevada are tied with 2.6 seconds left. It looks like it is Nevada's ball off an out-of-bounds play, so... We need to play-by-play play here. This, this is why, eventually, this podcast, we can have a live stream going. We can be live reacting to a uh, game or two. Now, that would be something. <laughs> and this is for exactly that, but an exciting one. Yeah, we may bring uh, live streaming to the podcast in the future. That's uh, a plan that may be in the works, but... Not I don't yet. want to give away too much. I don't want to, I, it's just a teaser, just another teaser. <laughs> yeah, we may be getting there in the future, but anyway, it looks like they're giving this out of bounds call right now. Who did it go off of? It, I don't know. They called it Nevada ball, but it, that was close. Anyway, while the refs might take like 30 minutes to review this. We can continue to talk about some notable games for this upcoming week because we're really in the thick of conference play. There are great games every day. And let's uh, predict who we think will win a few of these games. And one of them, we've touched on a decent amount. No need to go super into depth here, but Kansas State, number five in the country, plays at Iowa State Tuesday, the 24th. Who do you got winning that game? I just hyped up the Iowa State home crowd, so don't let me down, Cyclones. I'm gonna go with Iowa State, uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get carried away with the Iowa State by a certain spread or a certain margin. I'm gonna give Iowa State just that classic, you know, single basket home court edge. Uh, Kansas State, I trust, I, I trust Kansas State in the big picture. It, it pains me actually to pick against K State, uh, but I won't belabor the point too much. I'll just go on to, I think, you know, the way I'll rationalize this pick in part is that. It's just so hard. It's so draining. I uh, coming off of uh the the wins Kansas State has had. I know Texas Tech was a little more ho hum more recently, but I just think it's hard to string together indefinitely wins against ranked opponents in the Big Twelve after such a high of beating Kansas. Yeah, for sure. I also am picking the Cyclones to win this game. I just really love their home court advantage, and I think these teams are pretty even. They obviously are completely different built teams, but. All in all, they're pretty even teams on neutral site. Um, so I am picking Iowa State with the huge home crowd advantage. And it looks like this game might be about ready to get into playing. But the Big East, we have a matchup on Wednesday. It is Xavier versus UConn. Both teams, Xavier has been playing good lately. They did lose to DePaul this week, which is not the best loss, but Everyone gets a slip up here or there. They've still been playing great basketball over the past month or two. UConn, they have not been playing some great basketball. They have been playing some subpar basketball. They've, they've, they're still ranked, but they've lost. They've lost. They've lost some tough games, but they also have not been that number one team everyone thought they'd be. And before we get to that, New Mexico is inbounding the ball. Jalen House half court. 
Jalen House for three. We're going to overtime in Reno. So, anyway, yeah, Xavier, UConn. I'm, it's at UConn. I'm taking UConn. Yeah, you, you weren't too emphatic about that pick. It's, uh, I can understand why, though. Like, I, 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 you said what? You said what? You can't? I was not, I'm not overly in on UConn that game, but I think because it's a home game, I think they pull it out. They still are incredibly talented. They're still good overall. I'm picking them to win that game, but I'm not super confident about it. I, I was curious. I would actually was surprised to see UConn is Ken Palm's number six ranked team in the country. So, of course, KP, love him. Not everything, um, but that is a number six pick. Xavier at number 22 in Ken Palm. I, I'm going to pick Xavier just because, well, not just because, but uh, because I, I just think UConn is destined to fall a little bit in those kind of metrics, and I, there's going to be a result that proves why that's the case. And the most likely scenario where that happens is Xavier getting a win uh, on the road. I don't love that it's a midweek the road trip. Like it's a long, one of the longer games or longer travel situations midweek uh, for the Musketeers. So I, I, I think in a real life sense, like that actually can when you're like when you're it's such a close matchup on paper. Uh, that that kind of incorporates the home field advantage uh, idea, but. Uh, I like Xavier by a smidge. I'll be slightly contrary. Uh, I don't know. I, I can just picture the X getting an important win uh, for the trajectory of the Big East. Yeah, I could respect that pick. They won at Xavier, and, you know, maybe they could pull off the road win. It would be a little bit of an upset, honestly, if they were able to win at UConn, but certainly not impossible. And uh, just another note, this is New Mexico's second straight overtime game. They obviously went to overtime with Boise State the other night when Tyson Dejenhart of Boise State hit a huge three with a few seconds left in regulation. New Mexico won that game versus Boise. I guess we'll see if they win here tonight. Another score update. Baylor is winning by double digits. No, they're not. They're winning by nine, but they were winning by double digits. But with less than four minutes left in the game, they are up by nine. Looking like Baylor might pull this one out, but it's certainly not over. And... I want you to talk about this Hofstra game versus Charleston that you had written down on our notes. So I want to see what you think about the uh, Cougars this week. Just to let some folks know, of course, this is our, my weekly College of Charleston update. This is the highest ranked in my lifetime I've ever seen this CA men's basketball team. So, of course, uh, that's something that's been uh, certainly notable for everybody up and down my coast. Um CFC, there was a little bit of a scare since you and I last talked. I, I guess I'll call it a scare. Certainly it was a scare to the CEA because if Charleston had fallen at Monmouth on Thursday night, the 19th, that would have been catastrophe for the conference. One of its newest members who has been struggling mightily, not just in league play, but all year. If the Monmouth Hawks had beaten Charleston, that would have tanked uh, Charleston's not only ranking, but it's it's at-large hopes and the CEA's two-bit hopes. So yeah, Charleston for sure. ultimately yeah. pulled away. Charleston ultimately pulled away in that one, but that's the first thing of note as well. Uh, there was a there was twenty minutes of basketball where it looked like <laughs> maybe it might get interesting. Yeah, just to know now, Monmouth is they are bad. They have lost a ton from last year's team. It was pretty decent, but they are not the same team at all that they were last year. They are like bottom ten in the country. That would have been a terrible loss for Charleston. They were able to pull away by double digits in the second half, but. I think that just shows that maybe the AP people might be overrating Charleston a little bit, but 
That or think- it was just like I said, I talked about it midweek. I worry a little bit about Xavier. Now I know I picked Xavier and I'm gonna I'm go- I'm behind the X. Don't don't get me wrong, all for one, one for all. But at the same time, this was another one like this was a Thursday tip off. Charleston got all the way up to Jersey for a game. Like I just think Charleston's felt all the love for so long. They were playing a truly one of the bottom feeders in all division one. Hard for me not to like have like sympathize a little bit with a bunch of kids our age who are up there, like man, far from home. This atmosphere isn't like TD Arena at all. They just think they, they kind of have a little bit, not complacency creeping in, because I know Coach Kelsey's uh, not going to allow that on balance, but the human element comes into play a little bit. And they, they had that happen to them, and they still came back and won without too much of a sweat. Um, not that that's necessarily something we should overly pat them on the back for, but I, I can, under, I can, I can, ra- again, this is another effort of like, hey, rationalizing it. Where did this come from? I can see a context to it. Now, this does put Charleston on alert, though, versus Hofstra, because Hofstra is probably my second favorite CAA team in terms of just talent. Like, looking at just raw, like, how talented is this team? How liable is this team to just go off on offense? Hofstra has all those pieces. I already pitched for Aaron Estrada in my All-American team. He was a second teamer for me. Uh, Hofstra is obviously takes this show on the road. It's going to be very difficult for Hofstra to get a win in Charleston. I know the locals in Charleston are going to appreciate that Hofstra is actually one of the bigger threats to their team in the CEA. So I'm pretty confident that the home crowd is going to understand the urgency of this game and is going to uh, give them an extra boost. Uh, but Hofstra is going to be playing with an extra edge. Uh, Hofstra is going to be coming in looking to reestablish itself, actually, within the CEA pecking order because they fell by 21 at Towson on Monday the 16th. Uh, that was an early, I believe that was an early afternoon tip off uh, after a road trip for Hofstra. But uh, Towson, you touched on Towson, Austin, being a team that has kind of sagged a little bit compared to being uh, a, a trendy CAA preseason number one and a trendy uh, mid major uh, top 25 pick. Towson just hasn't played that way this season. Certainly, a number of all conference worthy players there just haven't necessarily put it all together at the same time. Uh, but even with that, that's where you get Hofstra maybe having feeling more of a blemish, having lost to Towson. So Hofstra then finds itself uh, really redeeming itself, really skating by, uh, not skating is the wrong word. They skated UNCW in the first half and then absolutely blew UNCW's doors off in the second uh, last week. So that really was a sign, hey, maybe Hofstra is putting it together. Maybe Hofstra is really getting distance from what was a really disappointing loss. All that is to say that they get practically a week off. They, they get a night off against Elon. Hofstra versus Elon this week will not be close. Hofstra will have that one finish probably by halftime. Uh, and then that that will be really a warm-up for this game at Charleston. I, I'm going to pick the Cougars by probably to cover. I think I don't really trust Hofstra as much. Uh, I think Hofstra can be a little hot and cold. Uh, but my lang- long-winded way of describing that is still it's a game that is one of the most important for Charleston the rest of the way because in a vacuum, just looking on paper, if these when we say like, oh, which are the most talented teams? Well, Hofstra's right there. And so that's why you'd say, hey, Charleston, this is the one that you got to have circle on your calendar. Yeah, for sure. And I think Charleston still pulls this out, but it's still kind of hard for me to see them going through the uh, colonial schedule fully undefeated. I don't think they will lose, but if there's a game that they do lose, this one seems a lot more likely than the rest of the games on their schedule. So that's just something to note if, obviously, you noted that Hofstra is a hot and cold team. If they bring their best, they could pose a very serious threat to Charleston. So, But I'm still taking the Cougars. But moving yeah, on. I think it's wise, too. It's wise, too. I, I can see them running it. Like, once they get by Hofstra, I really – they. I want to make sure – the word is – I say the word because my notes are all in a, my CEA notes are in an absolute scramble, which is probably not a good sign. We're not even in February yet. 
But Charleston goes to Drexel, which I think Ken Palm has as the toughest rated game for Charleston. And Drexel, they UD, who I know pretty intimately about how UD has kind of fallen a little bit shy of the it's not the same Delaware team that won the CA tournament last March. The fact that Delaware took Drexel to OT on the backs of two players, you know, Jameer Nelson Jr. and Jair Davis. I, I'm not that high on Drexel necessarily. Uh, in terms of being a real like top four CA team, easily top five, top six, but is it top four? I don't know. So Charleston's trying to schedule the rest of the way just to opine about the CA for a couple uh, 30 more seconds. Charleston's record the rest of the way uh, or schedule the rest of the way is actually, I think it shakes out all right. Yeah. And the one game that I might have circled is they play Towson at home, which is later in the season, but. That could be an interesting one, but again, like I'm not. There's no games I'm like, oh, Charleston's gonna lose this one. Like, so they very could easily run the table, and yeah. And uh, moving on to our last talking point, we have the SEC Big Twelve Challenge on Saturday. I have all the matchups pulled up here. There are some very notable ones, but I have the. Big 12 winning this 8-2, to two, which I don't know if it's overreaction, but the Big 12 is just, like, so good. Like, Alabama, Oklahoma, I'm taking Alabama in that one. Arkansas, Baylor, I'm taking Baylor. Auburn and West Virginia, I'm taking West Virginia. Florida, K-State, I'm taking K-State. Kansas Tech, Kentucky, I'm taking Kansas. Texas Tech, LSU, I'm taking Texas Tech. Ole Miss, Oklahoma State, I'm taking Oklahoma State. TCU at Mississippi State. I'm taking TCU, Iowa State, and Missouri. I'm taking Iowa State and Texas at Tennessee. I think I'm taking Tennessee in that one. But do you have any objections, or what? What would you uh, what do you think the final standings of the challenge are gonna come out to be? I I think the Big Twelve nabbing eight wins is within reach. Like that that goes to show you. Uh, I I like Auburn a little more at West Virginia. Uh, I think Auburn could go on the road and get a win for the SEC. Yeah, that was definitely one of the games that I wasn't super sure on. If it was neutral site, I'd definitely go with Auburn. Auburn, if it was at Auburn, I'd definitely go with Auburn. But I'm giving West Virginia a slight advantage because they aren't. I can see that. That bad. Yeah. But... Yeah. No, I, I mean, I can totally see that. It's just Auburn's one of my favorite, like among the road teams in the Big 12 SEC challenge. Auburn's one of my favorites. Uh, I, I I'm on underdogs. I kind of like Mississippi State. Uh, now I now so that's kind of strange for me to say because I've been a big TCU guy with Mike Miles and all that. Uh, but I, something about like very similarly to you with West Virginia, I just kind of like Mississippi State a little bit. I like the value of them at home. Uh, if this were like a you know if this were a di- if this were a different kind of podcast, I I'd have to look at the spread if it were a different kind of podcast. But I, I like Mississippi State at least to keep that one reasonably interesting. At home, uh, Kansas at Kentucky. I should have mentioned Kansas among my road teams too. I'm all over Kansas there. I think Kansas is going to be looking to make a point. Like at a, like, I know Kentucky isn't the same kind of quality win that it would be now. Being Kentucky on the road is still an achievement. Now Kentucky doesn't have the same prestige within this season due to the reasons you and I have discussed on the show as well. Uh, but Kansas, with the way it's it's been humiliated a bit by its in-state rival and by TCU in that blowout fashion. Kansas is going to be looking to uh, let everybody know that it's not it's, it, ha- it hasn't gone anywhere, especially with this big Baylor game for Kansas tonight pending. So I r- am in love with Kansas at Kentucky. I, I know Kentucky's found a way to get back into the, in the relevant picture, but I, I think that the Jayhawks will be uh, in, in fine shape there. Yeah, Kentucky has been playing a little bit better. Kansas has been playing a little bit worse recently. 
but I still got to go with Kansas. As I previously mentioned, I just think the talent level is still just too big of a gap, and Kansas is just better in about every aspect of the game. Obviously, I don't have anyone like Oscar, but besides that, I just think Kansas kind of dominates in every area. And just a quick score update, they're down five with a minute 36 left at Baylor. Another score update, New Mexico is up by five with a little over a minute left. And moving on to the other great game, you might say, of the challenge is Texas at Tennessee. And that is a top 10 matchup. And even though it might not draw the same uh, blue blood material as Kansas and Kentucky, this is obviously the better basketball game in terms of quality of teams. So I think this is a game that whoever's at home wins it. Tennessee happens to be at home. So I'm going with the Vols in this one. Are you going with the Vols as well? This is such a great game. This is probably a game that, like, I can't believe we're only getting into it now in this part of the show. Like, it, we've been wrapped up in a bunch of other good games, but this is a great one. Uh, Tennessee's put together a really nice resume, 16-3 and three overall. I, I want to say quietly, the AP's number four team, like, that. Like, and I just get a look and say, okay, look, let's see let's see that SEC resume. This has really been an SEC schedule. Just There hasn't been a ton of opportunity for remarkable wins, and they fell to Kentucky earlier this season. Uh, by seven. So the fact that Tennessee now that we're we're skipping a game they host Georgia and that we expect to see Tennessee take care of business. Then Penn, following that they get Texas. I think Tennessee will seize the opportunity uh, to get a really good win against Texas. It, they won't. It won't come easily though. Like I, they, I, this could be like a game that goes down to the last possession. Like I I'm really looking forward. Like I don't I don't want to miss this one one bit. This is a game that Tennessee is going to want to get so that when they have to play Auburn, when they have to play Alabama and they get into uh, the meat of that SEC schedule where really they're getting games against fellow NCAA tournament teams, uh, they feel like they're well positioned. So uh, it's very tempting. Texas is so tempting. Texas is so tempting, uh, but I'll give this one to the SEC too, because I really think that at, in the end, rather than uh, the at big 12 going to eat and two, they go something more like six and four. I, I just, they're going to be kind of those results that I don't call them random results. I just think, the SEC picks up a couple and is like, yeah, we're we're not we're not we're we're a power five or if that's a dated term, you know, we're we're still a power league, you know, don't get it twisted. So, uh, Tennessee maybe chips in one for the SEC here, but Texas is so it's just so tempting. If these were like you like you've been talking about with neutral sites, if this were a uh, game that I don't know, let pick some what s- southeastern city do you like? If it were played in you know, uh, um... I'm blanking like not Nashville because that's in Tennessee, but like. <laughs> <laughs> if it were see, played I'm in to figure uh, out, like where's Birmingham, even like or, the middle if we're played in Birmingham or something random like that I don't know I <laughs> would probably like the horns I I probably like the Longhorns a little bit but uh yeah Tennessee I'll take looking at the volunteers uh they're 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 pretty well balanced they have a different player leading them in each of the categories of points rebounds and assists so you know no got no one players uh, doing never overly uh heavy lifting so uh but that I love that as an orange bowl I love it yeah, for sure. And, you know, I mean, that's all we have. Is there any other things you'd like to touch up on the podcast or is that episode three? I'll, I'll tell you what, I ate up a lot of your time on the CAA already. Uh, I touched on the fact that I experienced. Well, actually, I didn't mention I had the I had the pleasure of having the radio. I don't know if I'd ever had a radio live broadcast. I had the play by play of an overtime game 
So I, was, I love that personally. Just that I was very fortunate to have Delaware Drexel go to overtime and Drexel put out that three point win, holding Delaware just one point in all of overtime. So a defensive masterclass by Amari Williams. I remember the name. Uh, but other than that, that was my Saturday. So you knew I was locking up in Philadelphia. It was a big day in the sports world in Philadelphia. And uh, okay, New Mexico has the ball. Time. Oh, here we go. With... Before we go off, let's see if this yeah, absolutely. Double see, I'm just filling time until we get to. Ooh, watch that! Watch that! They is that a jump ball? Which Nevada? game? Which game are we? Which game are we live reacting to here? <laughs> uh, New Mexico, Nevada. It, they just call it a jump ball with two point seven seconds left. Well, and we, we need the score. We need the score. It's 87-87. Okay. It looks like it will be Nevada's ball here. No timeouts left, so free. Th- well, <laughs> did they find See, a timeout there? What we need here is a buzzer beater that we can get the authentic live, this absolutely unfiltered live reaction to. I got to get, I'm looking for a stream here. That's what I'm so doing. On the CBS Sports Network. Okay, CBS Sports Network. That's what I thought. Another I note, it looks like they're taking a look at the clock here. Yeah. It looks like Baylor will hold My uneducated on. inference after just making sure I'm able to tune in. Yeah, but Baylor's up by eight. With I love it. Look at Nevada's four. atmosphere. Look, check this out. Nevada is turning up. Important yeah, game. Nevada. Nevada, fifteen and five. Yeah, overall. like they and they were really month. hyped up. They were really hyped up last Guess season for a ranked win. Yeah, but they were really hyped up last season. That didn't really work out. They were really disappointing, even with the talent they had in their team. But to Nevada, man. Yeah, for sure. They've Those had Eric a, Musselman. They've had a great Still season. Like very much in the mix in the MW. Yeah, I don't think they're out of tournament contention yet. Back to you for the live reaction, though. <laughs> yeah, well, they're about wow. to inbound the ball. Half court heave by the Wolfpack, front rim. Uh, well, I'm not there yet, so <laughs> I guess let's see. Nevada's inbounding the ball for me now. He had all kinds of room for that shot, Austin, didn't he? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. There we go. Got it off. Mm, that, that was not that far off. We are going double overtime now. We will see you next week. You will know the result of the game by then. So have a good one, guys.